Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, good evening, friends, and welcome. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life, and I welcome you to this special address regarding the state abortion-related initiatives happening across the country that have been happening for some time now but have gotten particular attention since the Supreme Court issued the Dobbs decision in June of last year, reversing, in fact, obliterating the Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey decisions that had long been the standard for any abortion-related court decisions in America. Welcome. This I consider to be one of the most important broadcasts for our movement, and we welcome the many, many people joining us across multiple platforms, and uh, we expect to reach many, many in the pro-life movement uh, over the coming days also with this important broadcast and with the ideas that I will bring. I'm going to go into some detail. I'm also going to go into the Word of God and bring us some inspiration from the Scriptures. I am also going to invite you to read more about the various points that I will make. And a lot of what I will say here tonight will challenge and uh, be very different from some of the analyses that you may have heard in regard to these pro-abortion successes in the different states. A perspective that I have also spoken to uh, my colleagues in pro-life leadership about, a perspective that I've already written about in various publications, a perspective that after tonight's broadcast I hope you will see is the, the most reasonable perspective, and it gives us a guideline about what we need to do, how we need to talk, how we need to mobilize as a movement going forward from this point. So once again, welcome. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you, standing in victory. Lord, as we look at abortion, and we know the evil it is and the devastation it brings, not only to the children it kills, but to the moms, the dads, the grandparents, the families, the friends, the abortionists and their staff and our entire society, and to us, we know the devastation. Nevertheless, We do not stand before the power of abortion and the abortion industry and scratch our heads wondering if and when and how we can overcome it. No, we stand before this evil tonight and we declare, and we declare every day of our lives, that this evil has in fact already been overcome. We are not just working for victory. In this movement, we are working from victory. Victory is our starting point. Because in Jesus Christ, the power of death has already been abolished. He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through His gospel. Christ, once risen from the dead, never dies again. Death has no more power over Him. And what that means, Lord God, is that it has no more power over us. Because we have already died and are risen in Christ, you have already seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We share a new life which cannot be touched by death, so that even as we die, we die in Christ. Our death has been conquered by His resurrection, and so has the death of every unborn child by abortion. 
We are still fighting a real battle. Death is still occurring, but we know that its power ultimately has already been defeated and that the victory of life will unfold in our words and actions, in our laws and court decisions and elections, in our efforts to educate, persuade, motivate, and call to repentance. Lord God, give us the energy that comes from embracing a victory that has already been won. Give us the confidence that comes from knowing Your Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who speaks through us, works through us, and is victorious through us. We share His victory. We become vessels of His triumph. We speak His words of life. And therefore, we receive from Him the glorious victory of His kingdom, which is a kingdom of truth and life, of holiness and grace, of justice, love, and peace. We pray through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, uh, thank you again for, for joining us. If you were only to stay with me for one minute, remember this simple point. What is going on with these state abortion initiatives is not a sign of the, of the strength of the pro-abortion side. It is a sign of their weakness. It is not a reason for us ever to think that the American people have embraced abortion. They have not. In fact, the, there is plenty of evidence, and I'll be talking about some of it, just some, that leads us to the conclusion that the American people have expressed their will in many ways, and that the more honestly we get to evaluate the will of the American people, we see that they are rejecting abortion, not embracing it. Furthermore, it is clear, and I will articulate this as we go along tonight, that the debate in, um, in America about abortion is actually a pretend debate. It's a make-believe debate. We on our side are not pretending. We know what abortion is and we want the American people to debate and face the facts. And we are confident in the persuasive power of our position. It is they who are pretending. It is they, as they show forth their trophies in these various states where they have won these ballot initiatives, and as they say, oh yes, we're going to make abortion a key issue in the 2024 election because that will motivate our people and that will bring them out. Brothers and sisters, if they want to make abortion the key issue in the 2024 elections, I say, be my guest. But the American people don't like to be lied to. The American people don't like to be fooled and manipulated. My challenge that I will articulate tonight is that there be an honest debate about abortion. Because when there is an honest debate to which the Dobbs decision opened the door wide, as we'll explain, when there's an honest debate, we win. We have won in the past. We are winning now. We will continue to win. And moving forward, finally, unity in this movement does not mean uniformity. It's not a cookie cutter, there is no magic bullet, there is no magic message. Every group watching this broadcast, every organization working to end abortion, 
on the international level, the national level, the state level, the local level, and I've interacted with all of you. We each have our own expertise. We each have our own constituency. We each have a winning message that works with the people that trust and follow us. And the unity going forth to fight these different ballot initiatives is a unity in diversity, a unity in autonomy, a unity that has to represent and respect the fact that each and every group has by hard experience and by persuasively attracting people to follow them, otherwise they wouldn't be a group at all, has the ability to influence people. And in willing ba winning ballot initiatives, we need to each use our own strengths, not pretend that the strengths of one group can replace or substitute for the strengths of another, or that the messaging of one group can necessarily appeal to the constituency of a different group. We need wisdom as we move forward in unity in this movement. We at Priests for Life are very much involved in doing that, in fostering collaboration, in carrying forward what we call a national-to-state collaboration, that every state battle is indeed a national battle. The other side treats it that way. So must we, and we are doing that with increasing effectiveness. We will talk a little bit about that too. Let's go, first of all, into the Word of God. And I want to bring you a perspective about this that you may not have heard so far. We are in an Exodus 14 moment. Exodus 14 is about the crossing of the Red Sea. God's people were enslaved in Egypt and for a long time. And with the plagues and after He had called Moses to go and set the people free, and mighty miracles were performed through the obedience and trust of Moses in God, those people were set free. One might compare the long era of slavery in Egypt by God's people, the oppression that they faced, and the need to be set free with the long period of time that we have labored under Roe versus Wade, and a shorter amount of time under the Casey decision. But these two oppressive decisions of the Supreme Court, there were many others in between and after, but many, many decisions of the court oppressing us in the sense that they didn't allow us to protect the unborn. And then there was an exodus. There was a parting of the Red Sea. There was a miraculous liberation from this stranglehold that the courts had on the ability of the American people to protect babies in the womb. The Dobbs decision. The joy on that day, June the 24th of 2022, when this decision came tumbling down. The, 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 the Roe v. Wade decision was obliterated. It wasn't changed in just a nuanced way. It was obliterated. This was like coming through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. Now, notice, I'm choosing the, 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 the comparison carefully. Because when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, it wasn't presented them on a silver platter, and it didn't mean that there wasn't still work to do. There was a lot of work to do. There were a lot of battles to engage in, and some they won and some they lost. And it wasn't easy. As a matter of fact, after they crossed the Red Sea, remember, then there was going to be the challenge to cross the Jordan and come into the Promised Land, and they went and scouted it out, and some came back and saying, hey, it's too hard, we can't do it, there's giants in there, we can never conquer them. 
The people crossed the sea, but then they had to make that desert journey, and their trust in God was tested. But brothers and sisters, I want to compare what happened in Exodus 14 to what has happened to us in the pro-life movement. Because they celebrated this, this great victory of literally Pharaoh and his, his armies, uh, uh, they, they chased them out. They chased them out because they said, oh, these plagues are coming upon us. We're, we're, going, to, to, we're going to die. Oh, we got to get these people out of here. So not only did they let them go, they, 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 they threw them out. And, but before the Israelites could fully enjoy this victory of liberation, let's read what happened. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pilhahirath between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Now notice this next verse, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And friends, you know that is exactly what happened. 
the, the sea opened, the Israelites went through, and when the Egyptians came in following them, the sea covered and drowned them. A prefigurement of baptism washing away our sins. The point is this. The Israelites, like the pro-life movement, experienced a great liberation, but no sooner did that happen than the hearts of the Egyptians were hardened and they came after them. And all of a sudden, just at the moment when they were experiencing this great victory, it looked like they were losing. And that was the moment when God said to Moses, tell the Israelites to go forward. Here you had the Red Sea on one side, the, the army of the ones who were until a short while ago enslaving them and now wanted to enslave them again, coming after them. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. And the advice of God to Moses is, tell them to go forward. And Moses, I, I can imagine him looking to the Lord and saying, oh, oh Lord, I could have thought of that myself. Tell them to go forward. Oh, of course, just go forward. That's exactly the, the, the situation that we're in right now. We experienced this great victory. It was a liberation from Roe v. Wade, being overturned, being devastated. And now the forces, their hearts are hardened. They want to make it worse than Roe v. Wade. They want to have abortion as a fundamental right. Notice something. We'll get into a little constitutional law here. The Supreme Court did not regard abortion as a fundamental right. It was mentioned a couple of times uh, here or there, but the way the court treated abortion under Roe and then under Casey and under all these other intervening decisions that it made on abortion, it ruled on abortion a couple dozen times over these 50 years. The court did not consider abortion to be a fundamental right. What the other side is trying to do here now is make it a fundamental right in the state constitutions. And I'm going to examine a little bit about this. They were so angry at the Dobbs decision. You have to understand the reason why. The other side would have been quite angry if the Dobbs decision had said the unborn must be protected because they have a right to life. But that's not what the court said. And that's not why the other side was and remains so angry about it. The reason the other side is so angry about Dobbs is a more nuanced reason. That we took away, the, the court I should say, we because we worked for the circumstances uh, that made Dobbs possible, but Dobbs took away from the other side their hiding place. That's why they're so mad. They took away their main defense. What was their main defense for 50 years? Well, first of all, our main defense for 50 years, besides, of course, our knowledge of, of God and our trust in Him and our knowledge of, of the truth, is that we presented the arguments, and we still do, and we have all the right arguments, all the persuasive arguments. Every field of human knowledge is on the side of the pro-life arguments. So we taught people and we continue to teach people who the baby is and what abortion does to the baby and what it does to the mom and the dad and all our society and why it's so wrong and why it's so inconsistent with the ideals of, of justice and equality and nonviolence and on and on it goes. In every dimension, from every angle, our arguments are right. Did the other side have to construct a whole body of arguments for themselves too? They don't have a single argument. They pretend to. But they're not arguing about abortion. 
and argue about women's health and freedom and constitutional rights. They, they don't have a leg to stand on, and they never have had a leg to stand on. You're telling me there's a justification for killing a baby? Think again. There's no justification for killing a baby. So the other side is in a very tough spot when it comes to arguments. So what do they do? What they did from the beginning was to create and invent a dogma that said, without any basis in American history or the Constitution, there is a constitutional right to abortion. Hey, if there's a constitutional right to abortion, who, who, who is anybody to argue against that? Who wants to take away constitutional rights from people? We don't want ours taken away. Why should we take them away from anybody else? It was their hiding place. They got the court to do it. By the way, you shouldn't be surprised that Roe v. Wade was reversed. You should be surprised it took us so long to get reversed. Because it was so weak, so unbelievably weak. But nevertheless, they accomplished it. Roe v. Wade was, it, it was a, a joke when it comes to constitutional argument, an embarrassment when it comes to historical argument, when it comes to scientific argument, a complete embarrassment. It wasn't a mighty fortress, it was a dilapidated building falling apart on a practically non-existent foundation. But this created, invented right became a hiding place. What do I mean? But they didn't have to argue, they didn't have to make their case. They didn't have to defend abortion. All they had to do was invoke the court. In fact, invoking the court made it impossible even for, of course, not, not strictly speaking impossible because the states did pass many laws, even under Roe v. Wade, and some of them were upheld. But the point is that it, it deterred and discouraged lawmakers from even trying to protect the unborn because the court said, ah, can't do it. Maybe in the very last stages of pregnancy you can do it, but basically throughout pregnancy you can't do it. So it was a hiding place for them. So when, when Roe was taken away and Casey was taken away, and remember, Casey introduced its own standard for abortion. Again, that's a piece of evidence that it was not considered a fundamental right. In fact, Roe v. Wade itself says explicitly, some say that the abortion decision should be left entirely to the individual uh, as a right and could be chosen at any time, and with this we, we disagree. They said that the responsibility rested with the physician. That was a medical decision, and it had limits, and the state could impose limits. And in Casey, that went even further. They created a whole new standard. It wasn't considered a fundamental right under strict scrutiny, those of you that know constitutional law. They had to invent, a, 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 they had to give abortion its own constitutional standard. A standard, by the way, which nobody could figure out. The point I'm making was all of that was taken away in Dobbs. And so they were, the other side was left in the same position that we have been for decades, which is, hey, you want your position to be public policy on abortion? In other words, to allow it? Yeah, make your case. In other words, persuade your fellow voters to elect lawmakers who would agree with that, persuade the lawmakers to pass a law, persuade the governor to sign it, persuade the courts to uphold it. Persuade, persuade, persuade. Show us the evidence. Now, we've been doing that all along. Now that the other side is forced to do that, they don't like that one bit. Because there is no evidence that abortion is of any medical benefit. There is no evidence that it has any ethical justification. There's no evidence at all. There's no evidence to show that the baby is not human. There's no evidence to show that abortion is not an act of violence. They have nothing. 
And because they have nothing, they're pretty upset that now the charade is over, that there's a constitutional right to abortion. And if they want to make policy that says abortion can be allowed, well then, they're going to have to make their case. Abortion rights don't exist, Dobbs said. And very, very significant for these state battles is that Dobbs said that abortion rights don't exist, not only in the federal constitution. They said they never existed in the state constitutions either. In other words, if you're going to claim that there's a right to something in the Constitution, it either has to be explicitly in the language of that document, or there needs to be something in the history that shows that those who framed and adopted that Constitution believed that there was a right to abortion. Well, the Supreme Court pointed out nowhere in the history of the federal Constitution is there any evidence of a right to abortion up until the time of Roe v. Wade. And then it went on to point out nowhere in any state constitution. So they, they're putting it in the constitution of, of Michigan and of Ohio. Based on what? Based on exactly what? Nowhere in the framing of, of those constitutions or any of the other 48 states was there ever an assertion up until this present crazy moment Nowhere ever was there an assertion that abortion was somehow a constitutional right. But you see what they're doing and you see why they're doing it? Because if they can insert or find through the courts, find through the courts or insert through the ballot initiative or some other method a constitutional right in their state constitutions, then they restore, at least for that state, the hiding place that they lost at the federal level. Now they can hide behind the courts. Oh, you don't have, you can't, see what they're going to say is, oh, you can't pass any more laws uh, 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 protecting the unborn babies or saying that they're persons. You can't pass any more laws restricting abortion. You can't do that anymore because now in our state, in our state, it's a constitutional right. And then that shuts down all argument because they don't have any arguments to make. That's why they want to shut down all argument. And even if we make the most persuasive arguments in the world, they get to say, oh, yeah, but you can't do anything about it. See, that's what they did to Mississippi when they passed the Gestational Age Act and got challenged in the local district court. The judge said, well, I don't want to hear about the evidence that the babies feel pain and how well-developed the babies are or how damaging abortion is to win. I just want to know, is it prohibiting abortion before viability? Well, yes, nobody denies that. All right, it's unconstitutional. You notice, see how they sidestep the arguments? They don't want to be, have to make the arguments. This is not a sign of the strength of the uh, abortion side. It's a sign of their weakness. It's a sign of their desperation. Where they're going out to all these states trying to make these amendments, that's out of desperation. It's a sign that they know that when we engage in the legislative process, we win. I'm going to get to the evidence of that in a moment because then the issue is actually debated. The arguments have to be heard. The evidence is put forth about who the baby is and what abortion does to that baby. Let me give you an old saying about warfare because this is key in this moment in this battle. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. 
The battle is in the mind of the enemy, brothers and sisters. When you are in a battle, and we are in a major battle over abortion, the enemy always wants you to think you're losing. They want to get into your mind and make you think, contrary to all reality, that they are stronger than you. Even if that's completely contrary to fact, part of the warfare is psychological. They want you to think that you're losing. And so there's a super narrative being formed here. We have to be careful not to fall into it. We have to notice it in the fake news media. We have to remind each other within pro-life circles not to repeat or buy into or even believe for a moment that this narrative is true. And what is this? What do I mean by a super narrative? Well, you have the immediate narrative that the lies that they tell in these states when they, when they put forth these amendments or when they oppose our amendments, we'll review in a moment what actually happened and what didn't happen. Because you, you look at the details and you see it's not as bad as some people make it out to be. But the point is that when you have the narrative that they're putting forward, oh, the women are not going to get emergency medical care. Oh, they're going to die. We have to preserve health care for women. We have to preserve. We already have emergency health care. But no, they want the people to think that, oh, you and your daughters are going to die unless you pass this amendment. So they have the immediate narrative that they use. They're better at lying than we are, by the way. That's, that's the reason they win is that not because they have the truth, but because they're better at lying than we are. But the fact of the matter is there's a super narrative now that it has happened seven times that there have been uh, amendment battles. And you have to understand, they're all different. But now that seven of these have gone the way of the, the pro-abortion people wanted since uh, Dobbs, the narrative that has been created and repeated over and over by the media and unfortunately by some in our movement is that, oh, well, the other side is winning. Oh, well, abortion is a losing issue. Oh, abortion is a losing issue, especially in the elections. Oh, Americans are embracing abortion. They are not. That's complete nonsense. That's complete nonsense. What is the reality? Where is the will of the people expressed? The American people, first of all, if you look at surveys, have never, there is not a single survey anywhere of the American people, of the Democrats, of the pro-choicers, of people in one area, another area, or third area, that shows majority support for abortion on demand. The American people do not want unlimited abortion. You can pose the electoral question uh, in, in, in a very simple way. Do the American people want more abortion or less abortion? They want less. Do they want more restrictions, more protections for the unborn or less? They want more. What happened in the seven states? It was not seven states that imposed a, 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 a right to abortion. California, first of all, you think, you think about these seven states. We're talking about California and Vermont, Montana and Michigan, Kansas, Kentucky, and late, latest one, Ohio. First of all, do you really think that it's news or that it's anything earth-shattering, new, or devastating to us that California embraced abortion? California? Did, did, did people really think that when they introduced a measure to amend their constitution to say that abortion is a right, did, did, did people really think that 
given the history of California, given how deeply it is immersed in the, the radical Democrat leftist agenda, that they were going to do anything other than put abortion into their constitution? I mean, it's a joke to think that this is some kind of trophy that the other side can, can uh, walk around with. And then Vermont? Does that have a reputation as some big pro-life state? So two of these seven victories, first of all, are in states where they already had a strong pro-abortion upper hand anyway. Thirdly, someplace like Montana wasn't a constitutional ballot initiative. It was, it was a legislative ballot initiative that wasn't about abortion. It was about born alive. It was about babies who survived, babies outside the womb. And the only way something like that doesn't get passed is when it's presented as completely something different than what it is. Again, they lie better than, than we do, and often they lie better than we tell the truth. That was a born lie. The, 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 the defeat of an effort in Montana to say we should increase protections for babies born alive is simply a reflection of the defeat that had already happened at a a national level until this year when the House of Representatives finally passed it because they were under Republican control. But for years and years, some of, some of you were involved with me in the efforts to get this Born Alive measure passed nationally, and it failed. So for it to fail in a state is no more of a, a, of a devastation than, than the fact that it, it failed uh, nationally. Kansas, again, it wasn't an amendment to say to the people of Kansas, hey, you approve of unlimited abortion, and then the people understand it and they say, oh, yeah, sure we do. No, it wasn't that at all. It was just that they weren't willing to say, and who knows how many of them understood what, that this was what was at stake, that they, the, their constitution does not require funding or create or secure a right to abortion. Saying that that's not a measure we want to adopt just leaves things the status quo doesn't say that they embrace abortion on demand. Same thing in Kentucky. How we say, oh, this was a great victory for the other side. To protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect the right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. That's not the same thing as, I want unlimited abortion. They're unwilling to change their Constitution. And then when it comes to Ohio and Michigan, those are the ones those are the ones that, that create the biggest issue here. And we look at those in more detail. I want to show you, first of all, the pushback that's been happening. Now, I was in Michigan shortly after uh, this year's um, election, the, in fact, the day after. This happened to them a year ago, right? Their Proposal 3, as it's called. You know, the fact that and, and, and this ties into, let me deal with Ohio and Michigan at the same time, because as soon as the Ohio initiative passed saying we want a right to reproductive freedom, see, that, that, that's not even the same as saying a right to abortion, a right to reproductive freedom, the Ohio legislature responded immediately, the very next day, the General Assembly members saying, we want to be very clear. The vague, intentionally deceptive language of Issue 1 does not clarify the issues of life, parental consent, informed consent, or viability, including partial birth abortion, just introduces more confusion. This 
initiative failed to mention a single specific law. We will do everything in our power to prevent our laws from being removed based on perception of intent. You see what these legislators are getting at? And they're the right people to speak up. They make law in Ohio, and so now they're defending the laws that were already made. You want to know where the people are? See where the laws are. The laws that are made by the representatives of the people who can be lobbied by the people and who can be put into or thrown out of office by those same people. And what these legislators are saying in Ohio was, you didn't pass an amendment that said our specific law about this restriction on abortion is hereby nullified. Boom. Law goes off the book. That's not what the issue one says. That's not what it, they're saying. We have specific laws on the books protecting the unborn. You can't just wave, wave a magic wand and say that they're gone. The measure doesn't even talk about these laws. So you see the legislators starting to push back, and this needs to be a model for every state. In Michigan, they knew full well. Now, they have a trifecta. They got, unlike Ohio, they have Republican governor, uh, Senate, and, and, um, and House. And they knew full well for a year now that although Proposal 3 has been in place as a constitutional amendment, they still have laws restricting abortion and restricting funding and, and requiring parental involvement and, and, and various other limitations, clinic regulations and so forth. They, those laws were still in effect. Proposal 3 didn't just write t t take them off the books. And so they realized, being a, being a Democrat trifecta, anything they can do to get more abortion, they're going to do. And so they introduced a pro-abortion law to codify the provisions of uh, Proposal 3. Now, unfortunately, that did pass. But again, they have a trifecta. What do you, what do you uh, uh, expect? Don't look just at the outcome. Look at the trouble they ran into in the process. There were certain things they didn't even try to go after such as the parental involvement provisions. And in fact, one of the um, Democrat members of the Michigan House of Representatives by the name of Karen Whitsett said, I do not think that 24 hours of a pause to make sure you're making the right decision is too much to ask. These people thrive on vagueness, on lies, on extremism, that they don't point out, that they don't describe, that they don't articulate, that they aren't honest about, but the truth always comes out. So what happens now all of a sudden, you see the difference between a ballot initiative, which I call snapshot voting, soundbite voting. You hear one thing, oh, that's what this is about, oh, okay. Instead of the robust debate that is required by a legislative process. So when Michigan started translating the, the ballot initiative into a legislative process, you even, even have Democrats saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 this goes too far. She also said in terms of the taxpayer funding, Michigan, Democrats, the legislators wanted Michigan to increase the funding for abortion. And what did this Democrat legislator say? 
People are saying, I agree to reproductive health, but I never agreed to pay for it. I think that's very fair. I just do not think that's something that should be asked of anyone as a taxpayer. So the point I'm making is, we've got a lot of opportunity here, even as these things, even once these things go into effect, if the other side, through soundbite voting and deceptive ads, fools people into voting for something that they don't even know they're choosing, when it comes to light what they chose, you're even going to have people who identify as Democrats and pro-choice saying, wait a minute, this is, where did this come from? And there's going to be pushback. In fact, there's already pushback in the courts, and this is another avenue of fighting back even after these things are passed. One of our own attorneys at Priests for Life, Robert Muse of the American Freedom Law Center, introduced a federal lawsuit, and it was announced the day after Election Day uh, there in Michigan at their March for Life, a federal lawsuit against Proposal 3 saying that, among other things, that because it precludes legal protection from the harm that abortion brings, women who undergo the procedure in Michigan are denied equal protection of the laws that the U.S. Constitution secures. They didn't, think about it. They're denied equal protection of the laws because they, they alone get abortions, they alone experience the immediate damage of the procedure, and they don't get to be protected from that because now Proposal 3 is trying to say to the lawmakers, you can't pass laws to protect them. There's a lot of pushback here, brothers and sisters. There's pushback even now against proposals like the ones in Michigan and Ohio that are being tried or starting to be introduced in other states. This sometimes is a very long process to get these things going. Let's look at Arkansas, for example. Proposed constitutional amendment ensuring a limited right to abortion in Arkansas. Except that it's not going to appear on the 2024 ballot, according to the Attorney General, Tim Griffin, because he wrote a seven-page letter the, uh, to the uh, person who submitted the proposal in the, in the first place, pointing out that there are several aspects of the language in the ballot that need clarity or other improvements. The name, for example. See, and I'm going to get to this point very strongly in a moment. They don't want to describe what they defend. The Attorney General in Arkansas said, the name of this measure is the Arkansas Reproductive Health Care Amendment. Listen to what he said about that. Your proposed popular name is tinged with partisan coloring and misleading because your proposal is solely related to abortion not reproductive health care generally. But the other side has to disguise it this way. It's like I said before, I'll say again. They want to pretend that they're, they're talking about abortion, but they don't want to talk about it. Reproductive health care, are you in favor of that? Am I in favor of that? Of course. Freedom. Reproductive, I'm in favor of reproductive freedom. I don't like what they're doing in China, telling families when they have to stop having children. But this is not about some kind of reproductive health care. It's about killing babies. Now, in Arkansas, there's another obstacle here. They have an Amendment 68 to their Constitution, enacted in 1988, saying that the policy of Arkansas is to, quote, protect the life of every unborn child. So... 
the Attorney General said, hey, it's not clear how this proposed amendment would affect an amendment that's already there. So you've got to make that clear. They, 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 they thrive on vagueness. Listen, I've said this before. The other side is only going to be able to get away with this so many times. That is, putting forward amendments that are so vague and so deceptive. They're going to, they, they, they've won on this a few times. A few times. Again, California, Vermont, things in Montana and, 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 and Kentucky that, that, that didn't even have to do with, 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 with putting up unlimited abortion. Don't make this out to, into what it's not. They're only going to be able to get away with this so many times before people begin to see the pattern, and many people are already seeing the pattern. You want me to vote on something? Well, tell me what it is. The American people don't want to be lied to. They don't want to be manipulated. And we have, we, this, it's not hard to show how they're being manipulated by these things. Nevada. Here we had a judge rule just recently. District Judge James Russell rejected the ballot initiative that the pro-aborts proposed over there, aimed at creating a constitutional amendment that would establish, again, something that the Supreme Court never established, a fundamental right to reproductive freedom. Oh, reproductive freedom. Oh, what, what, what about a, a dismemberment of a child by abortion? No, 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 that's, no that's, that's not in the words, is it? Russell concluded that the proposed amendment embraces a multitude of subjects that amounts to what's called log rolling, and that there was no limiting language to be able to specify what the, the amendment is talking about. He said that the, the, you're talking reproductive freedom uh, uh, embraces a lot of different procedures pertaining to a lot of different problems related to reproduction. Miscarriage, stillbirth. Postpartum care, birth control, tubal ligation, vasectomies, infertility care. These amendments are supposed to deal with a single subject. Now, here in Florida, we have been very much involved in the effort to stop the pro-abortion people. They're still gathering signatures now, although they're running out of time. And good news, they only have a couple of weeks to get like over 200,000 uh, signatures because come January, the state... Um, the, the, the deadline technically is February 1st, but the state election supervisors are not required to accept signatures after the new year. And then, of course, they all have to be verified, and a lot of them end up getting, getting rejected. But the last numbers I saw, they still needed like 270,000 uh, signatures. They might not even get enough signatures to put it on the ballot, but they have another obstacle in the way. Our great Attorney General, Ashley Moody, said to the Supreme Court of Florida, this thing is too vague. Let me read a little bit from what she wrote. I have objected to initiatives throughout my two terms when the language of the summary will mislead voters. Now, the group that is proposing this initiative also has a misleading name. Floridians Protecting Freedom. You see what these people are trying to do? They're trying to appeal to the limited government, freedom-loving Americans, who are also pro-life, making them think that these amendments somehow protect freedom and limit government intrusion. You fight back against that by pointing out that there's no bigger government intrusion into someone's life than to say you can end that life. 
There's no bigger government intrusion into your life. There's no bigger restriction on freedom than to say you're not a person and to let somebody else dismember you legally. Floridians Protecting Freedoms Initiative, Ashley Moody, Attorney General of Florida, writes, is one of the worst I have seen. Then she goes on to say, just as one example of the vagueness of the amendment itself, they use the word viability, but don't point out whether they're talking about the viability of the pregnancy, which would be the end of the first trimester, or the viability of the baby, which would be the end of the second trimester. And the Attorney General is saying, unless the voter is told precisely which definition of viability they're voting on, this would change their vote of many people who would approve of abortion until the end of the first trimester, but would not approve of it up to the end of the second trimester. So Ashley Moody concludes, As Attorney General, I have a constitutional and statutory duty to inform the Florida Supreme Court when ballot initiatives will confuse voters. Thus, I will file a brief with the court fulfilling that responsibility. God bless her. That is um, how Florida, one of the ways is pushing back. We're also going to have a positive decision out of the Florida Supreme Court about our laws here that have been passed, signed, but not gone into effect because of court challenges, and that is the 15-week protection, and then the more recently signed heartbeat or six-week legislation. When the Supreme Court rules in favor and says that our Constitution does not, by, by a provision of privacy, include the, 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 the right to kill babies, that's going to be a, create a good momentum in terms of uh, us stopping this amendment as well. Because again, here's the point I'm making. Let me, t let me, let me uh, uh, focus here again on the will of the people. We have got seven states. Now again, I, I, I was specific with you a moment ago that it's not like the people in these seven states voted for unrestricted abortion. No, that is inaccurate to say. But even if it were the case, you've got twice as many states that now protect the babies from conception. Why is it, this is, goes back to the super narrative that I was talking about a moment ago. Why is it that the fact that these ballot initiatives didn't go well in seven states, how is that fact, even though that fact is often exaggerated, how is that more worthy of our attention than the fact that twice as many states have victories, pro-life victories now that we could only dream about for 50 years and that essentially represent our goal of protecting all the babies from conception? How is that not more powerful? How is it not a more powerful fact that we're winning than that we're losing? Again, the battle is in the mind of the enemy. Be careful of the super narrative that this other, the other side is trying to, to make people believe. Fourteen states protect babies from conception. Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia. These states are protecting the babies all throughout. Did I say Louisiana also? They're all protecting these babies. Fourteen states. And then we have other states that have, like Florida, greatly increased, all this since the Dobbs decision, of course, 
greatly increase the protections of the unborn here in Florida. And you have progress also in, uh, let's see, well, you have uh, Arizona and uh, Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina, all these states. In fact, even in Montana, okay, one of those seven states that had a ballot initiative. Again, it wasn't about abortion on demand, even. But after that ballot initiative passed, remember I said the fact that a, a legislative initiative trying to increase protections for babies born alive after abortion fails, that doesn't express the will of the, of the people on abortion. Do you know that after that amendment, the state of Montana, that very same state, passed no fewer than 10 measures restricting abortion, passed them through their legislature, 10 measures. How on earth are we losing? The day, back in January, the Allen Guttmacher Institute, one of the key sources of research on abortion statistics, said in its headline, you can still see this on their website, Six months post-Roe, 24 states have banned abortion or are likely to do so. A roundup. Half the country. Banning abortion or getting ready to do so. Guttmacher Institute. Not exactly a pro-life organization. Sounding the alarm. Telling their side that we're winning. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. We not only have legislative victories, and that's where the will of the people is expressed better than in these ballot initiatives, although it might seem the opposite. But again, ballot initiatives, soundbite voting. You get a legislative initiative. And remember, that's what the Dobbs decision said, that the abortion issue should be in the hands of the people and their elected representatives. Why? Because those elected representatives can be lobbied. They can be presented with testimony. They can be visited. They can be persuaded. Then they persuade one another and they have hearings and people from both sides come in and they present documents and evidence and testimonies and there are questions and there are counter questions and the issue and the implications of the issue are examined and amendments can be introduced. That's how you probe an issue. This is one of the reasons for the Dobbs decision. The court said we don't have the, the tools to craft public policy on an issue like this. There's too many things involved. There's too many considerations and things to be measured. It's, it's too complicated. For the court to be the place where abortion policy is set for the whole nation, what the, the Supreme Court said is, hey, guys, but work it out. Make your case. Make your case. Now, it's a fake debate. Now, because the Dobbs decision Put it back in the hands of the people and their elected representatives. Guess what's happening now? And this is another piece of evidence to counterbalance the discouragement that comes when people say, oh, see, you're losing. It's a losing issue because of those seven states. No, 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 not so fast. Because states that are passing pro-life laws are getting those laws Challenge, the other side will always challenge the laws in court, but the laws are being upheld. We're seeing victories in the court. For 50 years, the knee-jerk reaction of justices was to strike down laws that protect the unborn. Now, they don't have Roe as precedent anymore. Casey isn't precedent anymore. What is precedent 
in the courts, the guideline they have to follow is Dobbs that says you respect the legislature, you respect the will of the people as expressed in the laws that are passed. So there's no constitutional reason to strike down those laws. And so Indiana, one of those 14 states I mentioned that are protecting the unborn throughout pregnancy, the pro-abortion people there, demented and deluded as they are, challenge the law in court, try to get it struck down. Guess what happened? The Indiana Supreme Court upheld it. Same thing happened in South Carolina. The heartbeat law upheld by the South Carolina court. Georgia, the heartbeat law upheld by the Georgia court. Victories in the courts in Kentucky, Louisiana, Nebraska, North Carolina. These states, the, pe the will of the people is expressed in the legislative process. And these states, protecting the unborn, then go to court, and lo and behold, the court says, you voted to protect the unborn, you get to protect the unborn. Brothers and sisters, we are having a fake debate in the United States of America over abortion. The way we move forward here, again, remember the scripture, you got the enemies carry, carry, uh, coming from one side, you got the Red Sea on the other, what is the advice that God gives? Tell the Israelites to go forward. Tonight I say to you, the pro-life movement, what do we do from here? It's very simple. We go forward. And one of the key things we need to recognize here is that the other side, they think they're so confident and, 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 and yeah, we're going to use abortion as a winning issue. Again, be my guest, but tell, describe what you defend. And that's what you and I, whether we're talking to our neighbors, whether we're talking to our legislators. I talked to a group of legislators from across the country just the other day about this. And I said, let's challenge these Democrats to describe what they defend, whether it's a Democrat introducing a pro-abortion law or a Democrat group introducing a ballot initiative or your Democrat friend or neighbor or coworker. You challenge them to describe what they defend. I had an article about this I wrote in, in the Gateway Pundit just the other day. I was responding to the debate that Governor uh, DeSantis and Governor Newsom had with Sean Hannity. And when it came to the abortion issue, same thing was on display that we've seen for decades. We point out the extremism of the other side, and that's what we need to do here. Point out the extremism of these measures and challenge them to describe what they defend. They won't do it. They will not describe what an abortion is. They will not identify a single limitation that they would agree with. And that's where, by us pointing that out, we gain the support of the American people. We actually already have it. We just help them to realize that this is contrary to what they already believe. They don't want unlimited abortion. Describe what you defend. Show abortion. Look at abortion.org. That's the website. Look at abortion.org. Show people exactly what it is. When these amendments come to your state, when all of us fight them in all the states, because it's a national battle, every state battle is a national battle. We are all involved. We can put things on social media. People in that state can see it. And we say, hey, folks, all right, let's have a debate. See, that's what they don't want to do. But describe what you defend. Look at abortion.org. Challenge people to go, this is really very simple. It always has been. Go to that website, describe, show people an abortion, and then say to the people, okay, do, 
Do you want this? Is this what you're gonna vote for? Or you say to the people that are introducing the amendment, you tell me just honestly, is this what you're proposing? Is it or is it not? But now you're showing them the pictures, the videos, the diagrams, the descriptions. You know, you look up the description of abortion in the medical textbooks, you'll see the words dismember and decapitate. What is, why aren't we talking about that? If we don't talk about the words dismember and decapitate, well, this is a fake debate. The more you can keep this in the legislative process, the better. Now, some of the states, it's very difficult to amend the Constitution because, you see, in some states, like in Ohio, they went right to the people because they were able to go right to the people and it was only a 50% threshold. But in Florida, we have a 60% threshold. And in other states, like Virginia, the pro boards are, are introducing a measure, but it's not going to be for next year because it takes several years. And so a number of other states have the same provision where you have to pass this through the legislative process, not once, but twice, two different, legis two different legislatures in a row have to approve it and with an election in between. What, is that, uh, what does that assure? That doesn't assure any particular outcome. It assures your input. You see why we have reason for confidence here? And why the other side is trying? What they're trying to do is find a new hiding place, like I told you. Because when the legislature is involved, then there are hearings, debates, evidence, amendments, lobbying. People can go to them, persuade them, bring them the description of abortion. Is this really what you want? Or appeal to those fair-minded Democrats like we saw happening in Michigan where they said, well, wait a minute, we can't strike down our parental involvement law. This is very reasonable. We can't strike down our, our informed consent law. This is very reasonable. Give a, a woman information and let her wait one day to make sure she makes the right decision in what is a life-altering, irreversible decision? <sighs> We're winning, brothers and sisters. Challenge the language. You know, notice how they use the word enshrine. Isn't that disgusting? Adds insult to injury. The, 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 the proper word is impose. They're trying to impose unlimited abortion in the state constitutions. Why are we repeating the word enshrine? That's a religious, sacred term. You enshrine a, um, a statue of Jesus. You enshrine a relic of a saint. We have to be careful of the language of trying to enshrine abortion. We have to point out to people the dangers of the language in these amendments when they say every individual has reproductive freedom. Notice, individual. You have to understand how these terms are going to play out in legal challenges and in courts because every individual includes children. If they didn't want to include children, then they have to say they're not including children and say something like every adult or every person over the age of 18. You see what I'm saying? You have to think in terms of legal language and court, court uh, uh, interpretations. Every individual means every, everybody. So you're saying that a child, you're, you're, by saying, just by saying every individual, you're striking down parental involvement laws unless you explicitly say that you're not. People don't realize this. Every individual, they're not reading their, oh, and 
it's a difference between, look, there's a difference between going into the voting booth and saying, oh, every individual has reproductive freedom. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Then saying, parents no longer have a say in whether their 15-year-old daughter wants to have an abortion. But it's the same thing. I challenge the other side. Be honest about what you're supporting. We can have all the ballot initiatives you want. We would, we would win every time. Being they're not doing that, we have, we have to rely on not only the attorneys general who are stepping up to the plate, not only the state legislators who can step up to the plate, not only the courts that are getting involved and pushing back on this, saying it's too vague. We, the people, need to make sure people understand it's too vague. Speak up. See the dangers yourself in this language. For example, again, oh, I don't think uh, uh, I'm going to vote on one of these amendments. Oh, it says that the state shall not delay an abortion. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea to delay somebody who needs that. Uh, oh, yeah, but hold on a second. If you give to a, a mom who's pregnant information about how well-developed the baby is, about the alternatives to abortion that she might not know a single thing about, or about the risks of the procedure that, again, she might not know the least thing about, and give her one day to consider that information, is that not a delay? Of course it is. So again, you go into a voting booth and you say, um, the state should not delay an abortion. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that, I'll say yeah. Or what if you saw the language that the state may not give someone who doesn't know the, uh, the uh, alternatives to abortion information about alternatives that they might want because that would delay the abortion by one day, so that may not be permitted. You think, you think, you think the same amount of people are going to vote for language A or, and as, as will for language B? Of course not. Protect freedom. Limited government. Health. Health. As determined by the woman's health care provider. Right? The abortionist says, well, she's nervous and that's not healthy. She's anxious about her pregnancy. That's falls under the category of mental health, yeah, this abortion is necessary. Do you think people who would vote for um, language that says the state should preserve the health of the woman would also, or every single one of them, vote for language that would say uh, that um, somebody who's pregnant with a healthy baby but is nervous about the pregnancy should be allowed to abort that baby in the seventh month of pregnancy? Of course that's not going to be, turn out to be the same thing. We're the ones that need to shine the bright light. We also need to shine the bright light on the damage abortion does to women, and that's where our Silent No More campaign comes in. Another tool, I'm giving you some very practical ways to respond to all of this. Besides look at abortion.org, go to abortiontestimonies.org and read and spread and tell people and challenge people with the information about what abortion does to the mother who gets it. This battle is coming everywhere. Some states it's going to be harder than others. Missouri, I was just with some folks from Missouri talking about this the other day, Nevada. Nevada and Florida, we talked about them already. Arkansas, they're already facing pushback from us. Maryland, New York, South Dakota has been involved in this battle for a while now. Iowa, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Montana, I mentioned to you Virginia. All of you in all these places and everywhere else. Take heed of what I'm saying here tonight, brothers and sisters. This is one of the most important messages for us to get out there. I want to conclude where I began. 
with the scriptures, two quick scriptures. John, chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. Jesus goes to visit Martha and Mary. And um, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to console them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And of course, we know that Jesus raised him from the dead. But the words I want you to focus on there are, even now. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. There have been successes of the other side, no doubt. Not quite as, not quite as, as some describe them. But even now, even now, we can rejoice in the victory that life is winning. Even now, we can be confident that we will abolish abortion from our midst. Even now, we can say we stand in victory because the truth that we articulate destroys the lies of the other side. We just need to articulate it. It destroys the lies of the other side. Even now, I believe, and an even now situation that happened in the Old Testament, the Babylonians came in. Remember, this was the holy city promised to the people, given to the people, the temple built by God's own instruction, the dwelling place and throne of God on earth is destroyed by the Babylonians, burned. People are dying in the streets. Taken out, being taken away into exile. The book of Lamentations. Jeremiah had promised that this would happen as a punishment from God by the Babylonians. And then it had, did happen. And the book of Lamentations has some of the most intense expressions of human grief in any and all literature. But right in the middle of this intense grief, this devastation, this destruction, and we can feel like that in the pro-life movement, when we see what happened in Ohio and many of these other states, and right in the middle of all this grief and devastation, when he is saying, my soul is deprived of peace, I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. I've talked to many pro-life people, maybe some of you, who feel exactly this way, but listen to the word of the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But now listen. But this I will call to mind as my reason to have hope. The favors of the Lord are not exhausted. His mercies are not spent. They are renewed each morning. So great is His faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. 
It is good to hope in silence for the saving help of the Lord. That is my message to you tonight. The favors of the Lord are not exhausted. The favors of the Lord to the unborn are not exhausted. They are renewed each morning. The favors of the Lord to the pro-life movement are not exhausted. The favors of the Lord to America are not exhausted. They are renewed each morning because it was on the morning of that third day as the women went to the tomb saying, Who will roll away the stone for us? Who will save us from the power of death? Who will save us from this mighty abortion industry, from their lies, from their tens of millions and millions of dollars, from the power of Planned Parenthood, from the, 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 the way that these groups just steamroll and threaten all the good that we've done for the unborn? Who will save us from these people? And they walk towards the tomb, still stinging with that disappointment. As the disciples had said that, that very same afternoon, we were hoping that He would be the one to deliver Israel. And lo and behold, that stone had already been rolled away. and Christ was risen. Brothers and sisters, we're not just working for victory. We're working from victory. Victory is our starting point in this movement. I want tonight, if you take away nothing else, to take away that profound determination and the confidence that gives rise to that determination. We're not just going to limit abortion. We're not just going to put up a good fight like my friend Mark Crutcher, recently deceased, friend of many of us, Life Dynamics said, we're not here to put up a good fight. We're here to win. Because winning is the only way that this killing stops. And it's going to stop. And it is stopping. And we are winning. Have that, you have to have that profound confidence. I'm not trying to put on rose-colored glasses here. We know the devastation of abortion. We know the devastation that results from what happened in Michigan, Ohio, and in these other states. But we know something bigger and something deeper and something more powerful. Abortion is a lie. All the efforts of those who support it are lies. This will not stand. And together, brothers and sisters, let's renew that confidence now. And let's pray more fervently than we ever have right now the very words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, we'll be putting out a lot more material on this on our main website, endabortion.us. Please go there before you finish tonight and sign up for our emails if you haven't gotten them yet. And where I'd also like you to sign up is prolifevote.com where you'll see the opportunity to 
take part in our election seminars because in our election seminars we're dealing with these state initiatives and we'll be dealing with them in great detail. Sign up for our emails. I'll send you the information I referred to here tonight. We'll post it on our website, ProLifeVote.com. We're winning. We're going to win. And I ask you to stay on just for another moment because I want to play a little video from one of our priests, Father David Begany, asking you also to support our ministry, as I know so many of you already do. Thousands and thousands of pro-life people will see this uh, broadcast either because they're watching now or they will see the repeat. I want to invite you to share it, spread it, talk about it with your pro-life groups, show it in your pro-life groups. We've got to encourage one another. And remember, we move forward using the strengths of each group. Don't think that there's some cookie-cutter, magic wand, silver bullet. That's going to hinder our efforts, not going to help our efforts. Our efforts are to acknowledge the great variety of expertise in this movement, not to rely on any one source, not to rely on any one study. It's the wide and deep expertise of this movement and the multiple messaging. It's not just one messaging. The multiple messaging in this movement affecting different demographics. And finally, and this we will delve into in our election seminars, again, go to ProLifeVote.com and sign up. What we need to do, brothers and sisters, I focused a lot on the, uh, the analysis of what's going on, but what we've got to focus on and will focus on intensively in this coming year are the mechanics. It's the mechanics of voting. It's the ballots it's getting people out there to vote early. It's connecting the, collecting the ballots in legal and constitutional ways. It's enforcing election integrity. The other side doesn't win primarily on the issues because their ideas are crap. They win when they take the mechanism, the mechanics, and take over the mechanics and they go out there and get all kinds of ballots, whether they're valid or not. We've got to learn and we've got to be better at the mechanics of elections than the other side is. Not just on the message. We know we have the truth there. My friends, the mechanics of the voting. Focusing now, not just on talking to people about all these things. Focusing on registering voters. Making sure we get them out to the polls. And all these mechanics on elections... We do and we will be talking about this in great detail. Be part of our army. Sign up for the election seminars. I've been telling you, Pro-Life Vote, and you'll see a link there, but, but actually the, the address that'll get you directly there, and this is the last thing that, that I'll give you here, is prolifevolunteer.com. It brings you to the page where you can sign up for these election seminars and tell us the... Uh, opportunities you have to help us and we'll tell you what, what can be done. ProLifeVolunteer.com. Thank you brothers and sisters. Spread this video far and wide. We'll have a lot more to say on this topic. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here. Glad to have you with us. Stay tuned to all our broadcasts on these channels and we'll talk to you very soon. God bless you. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? 
Go today to ProLifeGift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.